You're listening to The Driven, the podcast that gives you the news and the views, the ins and the outs on electric vehicles. The Driven is presented by Giles Parkinson, the editor of Renew Economy and The Driven websites, and is brought to you by ZeroMo, a non-profit initiative helping transition to battery-powered lawn and gardening equipment and electric vehicles using 100% renewable energy. Hello and welcome to The Driven Podcast. My name is Giles Parkinson. I'm the editor of The Driven and of Renew Economy. Well, in the last week in Australia, we've seen a remarkable thing. Energy, which quite often dominates the headlines of the mainstream media, has been replaced by electric vehicles. Ever since the Labor Party came out with their electric vehicle policy last Monday, which included a target of a 50% share of electric vehicles by 2030, a 50% uptake of electric vehicles by government fleets by 2025, and for the first time ever, some fuel efficiency standards for petrol and diesel cars, the airwaves have gone off. It's been a fascinating debate and occasionally nutty debate. Um, and as Mike billionaire Mike Cannon Brooks um, has mentioned today, sometimes uh, batshit insane. But anyway, um, today we are being joined by Labor's climate spokesman Mark Butler, who helped design the electric vehicle policy, to find out a bit more about how it would work and why Labor thinks and says it is a very good idea. Here's Mark Butler. Mark Butler, thanks for uh, joining the podcast. My pleasure. Ever since Labor announced its electric vehicles policy about a week ago, it's been in the front news, possibly not for the reasons that we expected it to be, but um, were you surprised by the reaction? Well, it's the end of civilization. It's, a, it's, it's an apocalypse. It's, it's hard to overstate the threat to our way of life um, imposed by Labor's pretty reasonable policy that we announced last week. I, I've been astounded at the degree of hysteria from the government, but also some in the media, frankly, uh, really failing to understand what's happening in the global car industry because the industry has shifted. Like It's made a profound shift over the last few years. And what we're talking about is not only bringing down emissions and bringing down prices, we think, for motorists, but also having Australia catch up with where the rest of the world is going. We're now the only OECD country that doesn't have fuel efficiency standards, which means pollution's rising on our roads and people are paying more at the Bowser than they should be. But we've also got the lowest uptake of electric vehicles in the OECD. It's time Australia caught up. Do you think, though, with the... Um, I mean, it, it, we've seen a difference between the government and the Labor Party on this policy as deep as we've seen on climate and renewables and just about everything else. Do you think that this is actually possibly a winning argument, an easier argument for Labor to win? Well, I think, I think what, what's happening here is that la- Labor, for, for some years now, has, has particularly framed its climate policy around uh, a renewable energy revolution. And I think that's got a lot of support in the community. Uh, a lot of people in the community who might not be particularly focused on climate change see technological progress as just part of our society, part of human society. It has been for hundreds of years. And uh, and moving to cleaner, cheaper ways of making energy, which is what renewables presents, is a no-brainer for most people. And I think most people struggle to understand why the coalition is fighting the future in energy. And now added to that, they've decided to fight the future on electric vehicles. 
as well when uh, sure people are concerned to make sure that the costs of electric vehicles are able to be brought down and the industry is very clear that they expect that to happen over as soon as the next five years. Um, they also uh, want to be sure that there's good infrastructure in place so that they can charge their vehicles away from home and that's why that was such an important part of our policy last week as well. But again I think people struggle to understand why the, the government or the coalition particularly wants to fight the future on this. This is, this is happening, whether we like it or not. And there are going to be a whole range of really good things that flow from it for our environment and for individual motorists. We should be embracing it, not fighting it. Let's go into the details of the plan. I mean, broadly, you've talked about targeting a share of electric vehicles, 50% of the new fleet by 2030, and also a government fleet, 50% by 2025. How exactly do you, do you propose to make sure that that sale of new vehicles does reach 50% by, electric, uh, by 2030? And what sort of incentives are you thinking of? Well, f the first, first thing is to explain why we're, we're doing that. Every other pretty much every other country that I've examined has put in place a target for electric vehicle penetration. And the reason they do that is that they recognise there needs to be a critical mass in the market, a critical mass of numbers in the market <coughs> that supports the rollout of new infrastructure, that ensures that companies, particularly for a fully importing car market that we are now, that ensures that companies send their affordable models, particularly to, to um, Australia in our case, and that's what we don't have at the moment. We, we have 0.2% of sales are electric vehicles, a multiple of, of 10 or 15 less than most of the markets we usually compare ourselves to. And it means that Australian motorists aren't getting access to the affordable models that are readily available in other countries. The UK, for example, has more than 20 models under $50,000 Australian available to them. We have a handful. We have four, I think, under 50,000. So, so get it, that you need a target to send a, a message to industry that we're taking this seriously and it's worth sending your models to Australia and that's what we don't currently have. In terms of how we get to it, which, sorry, was your question, Giles, uh, was um, we, we've focused particularly in our policy on using fleets as a driver to create that critical mass, private fleets and government fleets. Uh, fleet sales are about 50% of all new sales, about 600,000 out of the 1.2 million cars sold in Australia every year. So it's a good way to start to create that critical mass to underpin the infrastructure we need like charging. Uh, and we've got a, a number of policies in place. Our own policy about a Commonwealth fleet target that will be quite ambitious, 50% of new leases by 2025, and you see that in a range of governments overseas. We want the state governments to come on board with that as well, so we'll be talking to them if we win the election through COAG. And in the private sector, a big fleet market, we've got a very attractive um, uh, accelerated depreciation through our Australian Investment Guarantee, which was an investment vehicle that Chris Bowen announced some time ago. It will be available to businesses only buying electric vehicles, so it won't be available to them if they purchase a new petrol or diesel vehicle. And we think what, what focusing on fleets uh, will do is, because fleets tend to turn over their vehicles uh, more quickly, it will also start to create a second-hand market, which the industry and the Electric Vehicle Council has said is a very important part of getting private owners used to the idea of EVs. And over time, by which I mean four, five, six years, uh, it's very clear to me that, that um, the ticket price, so that the sales room price of an electric vehicle 
will reach the same level as a petrol vehicle, the upfront price, by the mid-2020s. And I think when that happens, given that running costs of electric vehicles are so much cheaper, provided we have those affordable models in Australia and we have the infrastructure set up, then I think the sale of electric vehicles in the second half of the 2020s will simply take off. What do you think will be the cost to the government then of um, transforming its fleet to EVs? The recent Senate inquiry said it wouldn't be very much. Um, have you costed that at all? That's right. We've had the Parliamentary Budget Office uh, cost that and, and it's a target that runs through the 2020s and we're very confident given where the sales price of these vehicles uh, are going and the running costs of those vehicles um, that, that the cost is negligible. It really just requires a bit of focus uh, and not being caught up in some weird ideological battle over this that the, the coalition appears caught up on. I mean, arguably, uh, according to some in the industry, the whole of life cost of an electric vehicle is already cheaper than a petrol or diesel car, given uh, that the running costs are about $2,300 cheaper per year of an electric vehicle. Now, the ticket price is substantially higher at the moment, but if the whole of life running costs is the same or even cheaper than a petrol or diesel car, it's a bit of a no-brainer decision for governments that can amortise their costs over time. Will there be any other incentives, such as stamp duty reductions or possibly changes to things like or discounts, as you've seen in, the, in Norway, on GST, uh, maybe fiddling around with the fringe benefits tax or luxury tax or something like that? No, look, we, we've taken a decision to focus on um, the, the accelerated depreciation part of our investment guarantee, so it's able to be incorporated into an existing vehicle. Uh, it, it then will allow a bit of focus at the more affordable end. Um, the luxury car tax is something that some people have pressed on me for some years. Uh, I don't see that as a particularly attractive labour agenda. Um, because it's really focused on the higher end of the electric vehicle market. What we want to do is really stimulate demand for the, the more affordable electric vehicles. Uh, and we think that we've done that through the policy offering we've put. What about infrastructure? How are you going to ensure that the infrastructure is in place for the charging stations um, that will be needed with such a big uptake? Uh, well, sorry, you, you also asked me a question about stamp duty and so on. I think, I think where, where, where we, we are going to have to have a very cooperative approach uh, with the state governments, and I know that there, there is really good work happening at state government, at local council level, readying their communities for the electric vehicle revolution, and different states have different um, positions on this stuff, and I think it would be good over time to get some consistency across state jurisdictions, uh, and also for us to be able to work with states and local councils that are rolling out this infrastructure. So last week we announced uh, a, um, a 100 million contribution to a 200 million dollar infrastructure fund to roll out fast and very fast charging stations. So, so the costing of that would support uh, about um, 200 stations, each of which would have between three and six individual fast and very fast chargers. This is the weird debate we had over the last few days in the Murdoch media over whether a very fast charger can actually charge a car in between 8 and 15 minutes. It's absolutely clear they can. And the great thing is they're being made by Australian companies. Uh, so like ChargeFox and Tritium, I mean, these are companies leading the world in very fast charging infrastructure. So we want to work with those jurisdictions to make, pla to, to make sure that they, the public, publicly available very fast charging and fast charging is spread in a strategic way through the community. 
There's been talk in the, um, on ABC this morning about um, Labour talking with um, international car makers about setting up a manufacturing industry here. I'm not too sure whether that's a sort of a, a complete car or maybe it's just parts or maybe it's expanding what you've just mentioned, um, the expertise in uh, fast charging. And we've got a couple of sort of niche players doing electric motorcycles and electric trucks and cargo vans and things like that. What's, uh, what's, what's been happening there? Well, I, I represent a... a car making community in Adelaide that, that um, for decades uh, had so much of its economic activity rippling out from the car industry, particularly Holden's, but for a while Chrysler and Mitsubishi, particularly Holden's though, and I think that the death of the car making industry here in Australia, which was really a direct result of a decision taken by, the, by Tony Abbott and Joe Hockey, is one of the deepest acts of economic self-harm I've, I've ever seen. It's an absolute tragedy. We were one of only 13 countries in the world that made cars from the design table to to the showroom. Uh, I'd love to get back to a position where we were again a car making uh, country but that, that is a matter that Kim Carr, our industry minister, would um, will, will have more to, to say on. Uh, we, we still do have um, substantial contributions being made at Toyota and General Motors, particularly at research centres in Melbourne, to their global plans to shift their, their platforms to electric uh, and, and that's, that's a great contribution, I think, tapping into decades of engineering expertise that we built up in this country. But as to what we might be able to expand on that, I'll leave that for Kim Carr to talk about through the campaign. And we expect an announcement in the next week or so? That's, that's a matter for Kim. What about electric cars yourself? Have you um, driven many electric cars and, wh and what's your favourite? I've been, I haven't actually driven um, a fully electric, a, a battery electric vehicle. I've been in them, obviously, a number of times, been driven around. Uh, they handle beautifully. They're, they're a great car. Uh, and I think there, there are going to be wonderful synergies, I think, develop over time, uh, particularly for Australians, given how many Australians have their own home energy systems. Two million Australians have panels on their roofs. They're, they're, they're getting batteries and being able to sync that in with an energy management system is really going to be very exciting for many of them. But also across, across the community more broadly, uh, what is also happening, as many of your listeners will know, is a real revolution around intelligent transport systems. So transport systems that, that um, are much better linked into to other IT systems, whether it's traffic management, whether it's car parking, whether it's you know cars talking to each other about avoiding collisions and so on. And so, so th there's just this extraordinary revolution in transport underway, and the electrification of um, uh, of cars itself is just one aspect of that. Mm. Um, and I'm just just going back to some of the um, the fleet purchases that um, you were talking about, and and seeing the fleets driving that tra transition. Will that also be true of the commercial market and individual ownership in, in small companies, things like Utes and things like that, which seem to sort of come to uh, come to the attention of some of the politicians the last couple of days? Yeah, I mean, one of the real shibboleths I think over the last couple of days is that is that um, the car car industry itself is not thinking about the need to electrify. Uh, a whole bunch of different platforms, not just very small passenger vehicles, obviously. And I think I think what the coalition is trying to do is create a sense of fear in the community that that electrifying um, cars is is going to make everyone drive very 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 small um, European style vehicles. Whereas you know, if you talk to anyone at Ford or at Toyota or any of the other big car companies that are making the platforms that that are now very popular, like the Hilux, uh, like the Ranger, which are the two 
um, best-selling cars, they're electrifying all of these things. I mean, they're, they're, they have plans over the next three to five years to electrify all of their iconic brands across the world. Uh, and um, the idea that you can't drive an electric SUV or an electric ute just flies in the face of engineering. Uh, not that that's ever been a problem for the coalition, flying in the face of engineering and science. But, but just our own experience, we've got electric buses driving uh, the roads of our cities. Why on earth wouldn't we have electric utes and electric SUVs before very long? We already have um, the Kona, a very, a very popular compact SUV, uh, a range of more than 400 kilometres on, on Australian roads now. More of them will come onto the market. Yes, in fact, I was lucky enough to drive a Kona for a week, um, a couple of weeks ago, and I published a review of the Kona just explaining the experience and the long range and the performance and the handling. Um, it actually got 50,000 um, readers, which is an extraordinary. So I think it's been the most read story that uh, we've written about anything this really? year. So there you go. Fantastic. <laughs> what about the Comcar fleet? Would that go electric then? I think the, um, the, um, they're up for renewal, aren't they? Well, I, I gather they're up for renewal. Quite, quite where that where that sits in in timeframes. If we were lucky enough to win the election in May, is not a matter for me. There are other ministers that would have responsibility for that. But you know, we we want to make sure that that the Commonwealth is a is a leader in the market here, and we think state government should be. I mean, the Commonwealth fleet is relatively small compared to say the New South Wales and Victorian government fleets, uh, and we will want to sit down with them and make sure that um, that that those that those governments are also able to make a contribution to uh, creating that critical mass we need in the market. One of the things I think that's important to point out is that Australian motorists enjoy the most diverse range of brands and models available in the world. We have, we have more cars, more brands and models of car available to us than the Americans do. And Australians like that. They like having diversity of choice. We're not going to have that diversity of choice if we have a government in Canberra that's seeking to fight the, the shift that's happening in the global car industry. We, you know, if, if Barnaby Joyce had his way, we'd end up like Cuba. Um, you know, while the rest of the world has gone electric, we'd be, we'd be stuck as an island uh, all tuning up our 2007 Commodores because Barnaby's ideologically opposed to the electrification of transport. I mean, if we're going to keep diversity of choice, we need that critical mass. And the Commonwealth and all state governments, um, I think, have a responsibility to drive that critical mass to ensure that private motorists over the course, particularly of the second half of the 2020s, are going to have a good range of choices available to them. So just to recap then just on the policy incentives then, I mean what's the total cost then of this target? Well um, all, of, all of this has been costed by the PBO and, uh, and it's very modest. It's very modest because, because I think, take, take the Commonwealth Government fleets again, uh, the whole of life costs of running an electric vehicle, which is how the Commonwealth is going to do its own costings, is arguably already cheaper. And certainly over the next five years, which is the total six years, so the time frame for us to reach the 50% target for Commonwealth leases, um, uh, it's, it's very clear to me that the ticket price will, will have approached the same ticket price as a petrol car. When you add to that, the savings in running costs of around $2,300 a year, it's a no-brainer mm. for a responsible uh, Commonwealth government just, just looking after its own internal budget, let alone doing the work it needs to do to create the critical mass in the market. Do you think this debate has been a bit of a gift for you? Because um, the climate debate has been a bit harder to argue in all sorts of different scare campaigns. Do you think the electric vehicle debate is an easier one to argue? 
Well, I think, I think um, casual observers about what's happening in the global car market recognise that this is a shift um, that, that doesn't present a choice to us. Like Australia is a technology taker here. Uh, this is a shift that particularly in the last three years has, has moved profoundly. I mean, when I was preparing our election policy for the 2016 election, uh, it was a very different context. Uh, there, there was not the, the depth and the sophistication of policy out there in the marketplace that, that there is now. The Electric Vehicle Council, I don't think, even existed. And that was climate change spokesman Mark Butler. Unfortunately, the interview ended prematurely there because the data card uh, filled up. But um, Mark was in the middle of pointing out that many countries around the world have actually set drop-dead rates for the sale of petrol and diesel vehicles. And he pointed to the United Kingdom, to France and many other European countries and even some Asian countries. And what this is done effectively, uh, Mark Butler says, has sent a signal to the car industry that they need to change. And if big car markets are going to ban the sale of petrol cars by 2040 at the latest, and as early as 2025 in places like Norway, then you need to work back from that to work out what you need to do to address those markets. And uh, the signal he pointed out is basically stop designing new petrol and design and petrol and diesel cars and design electric cars. And he said that's already happening. The big car makers are shifting tens of billions of dollars into the R&D budgets for electric. And uh, we're starting to see the signs of that. And it was interesting, just after the interview, uh, Tesla CEO and founder Elon Musk uh, replying to Mike Cannon-Brooks's um, earlier tw uh, text uh, t tweet also said that Australia should be able to easily meet its 50% uh, target by 2030 and should be able to actually reach it much, much earlier. And I guess that's pretty much what Mark Butler said in this interview. I think that, as he says, once the cost parity, the, up, the ticket price reaches parity with petrol cars, then it is, in fact, a no-brainer. And uh, we look forward to talking to Mark Butler in the future um, as the new policies get, set get settled, presuming, of course, they win the next election. And... We also talked to Mark Butler about some of his other climate change policies, and um, you can also hear that interview in our Energy Insiders podcast, which will be on the website from Thursday. So thanks to our sponsors, Zero Mo. Thanks very much to Mark Butler for participating in the interview, and thanks everyone for listening. We'll be back next week. Bye for now. The Driven Podcast was brought to you by Zero Mo, the non-profit initiative that supports battery electric alternatives for lawn and gardening maintenance. Zero Mo helps transition to cleaner and quieter garden power tools and electric vehicles powered by 100% renewable energy. Visit zeromo.com.au and find out how you can make the switch to zero emission, petrol-free lawn and garden maintenance.